Two weeks ago, we were in 2 Peter 2, and we began uh, sort of a two-part series, I guess, on sexual ethics. And I told you, as we looked at sexual ethics, specifically with regards to false teachers, meaning people who claim to be Christians but are promoting a kind of sexual immorality that God is against, that there are two dangers. The first danger is deception. False teachers are usually, they don't announce themselves as being false teachers. And instead what they do is they present truth in what seems to be a very plausible, sorry, they present falsehood in what seems to be a very plausible way. And it's very easy to be deceived. For example, it's very easy for uh, those who are engaged to uh, hear arguments as to why it's okay for them to begin their sexual relationship now before marriage. Uh, It's easy for those who are uh, engaged in pornography to hear that it's a victimless crime really what's the harm. It's easy for us to be convinced that divorce and remarriage should happen for any reason at any time. And one of the main problems with false teachers is, is that when they begin to teach about sexual ethics, at times it sounds reasonable. It sounds plausible. It sounds right. But when God shines the light of his truth into that situation, suddenly the deception goes away. And although there can be questions, God's been pretty clear. And we looked at that two weeks ago. But there's a second danger associated with false teachers, and that is fear. False teachers are often teaching what society in general has embraced. And the problem is, is that if you see the world around you begin to embrace a kind of sexual immorality that God says is wrong, and then people who claim to be Christians are promoting that as well, it can be a frightening experience. You can begin to think, what's going to happen? What's going on in the world around me? And you can become scared. I think of a, a wife who might be frightened to send her husband out into a world where he's going to be bombarded by pornographic images. That's made all the worse if he has friends who claim to be Christians who are telling him it's not that big a deal. Everybody's engaged in this stuff. There's nothing you can do about it. I think about the teenage girl who reads that God wants her to dress modestly in his word, but yet the society around her and even some people who claim to be Christians who are her friends are persecuting her for the way that she's dressing. It's easy to become afraid and think, Will I ever be able to find something that I can wear that God would approve of that won't cause me to be the object of ridicule? I think of the Christian college student who went off to that Christian college excited about learning, uh, learning in an environment where people believe in Jesus and finds out many of his friends, if not most of his friends, are not virgins. And it become frightening to think, am, am I the only one... What am I doing this for? Have I gotten the wrong message? Should I just have followed the path that they followed? And will I always have to stick out like this? I think of the fact that in society today, there are many who are promoting that homosexual activity is perfectly acceptable. And while that may be fine for those who don't claim to be Christians to when you begin to see people who claim to be Christians also promoting that same idea, it can be frightening as you look at God's word and you say, but God says something different here. Have I read his word incorrectly? Am I, am I doing the wrong thing here? Should I have changed these views? Is this just simply part of culture or tradition? It can be frightening as you look around and see a world 
and some who claim to be Christians promoting a different view of sexuality than the one God gives us in his word. And so if you've come here this morning, and perhaps you know what I mean when I say it can be frightening, what I think God has for us today is a word of encouragement, a word of peace to speak into our fears. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, it's page 984. 2 Peter chapter 2. While you're turning, let me tell you that as I said two weeks ago, what Peter has to say has directly uh, applicability to sexual ethics. But of course, it can be applied to much larger situations or different situations as well. And so if you're here and you're experiencing fear for other reasons, perhaps you've lost a loved one like the people we prayed for this morning. Perhaps you're in the midst of a difficult financial situation. Whatever it may be, I'm asking the Lord would also speak this same word of encouragement to you. But we are specifically thinking about what God has to say uh, in regards to the fear that can rise when we see the world and people who claim to be Christians embracing sexual immorality. Now, the last time we were together, I read the first nine verses of this chapter. Today, we're just going to read verses four to nine because that's the section we're going to focus on. <clears throat> Second Peter 2, verses four through nine. For if God <clears throat> did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. <clears throat> if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. The word of encouragement that God wants to speak to each one of us today in the face of false teaching about sexual immorality that can cause fear is this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Now there's three observations I want to make about this truth that God wants to proclaim to us today. Observation number one is that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The Lord knows what he's doing. <clears throat> Sometimes it's easy to look at a world that's spinning out of control <clears throat> or people who claim to be Christians who are following a different path when it comes to sexual morality and think, what's going to happen here? How is this going to turn out? And because we may not have been through anything like this, we think, how in the world are we going to make it through this? What's going to happen in the future? And God is here to say, look, I know what I'm doing. 
I know how to handle this. This is not the first time the world has spun out of control. This is not the first time people have defied the Lord. God says, look, I know how to rescue the godly from trials. Consider Noah. Noah was a man whose situation was much worse than ours. As far as we can tell, he and his family were the only people on earth who were trying to follow God. Nobody else was interested in obeying the Lord. Noah was all by himself. But God, God knew what he was doing. Nobody had ever heard of rain. But God says, look, I've got this. Trust me. No one even knew what a boat was. God says, I know what I'm doing. And at the end of the day, Noah was rescued. And every evildoer was gone. God says, look, I know how to do this. I know how to rescue the godly from trials. This is what I do. I'm good at it, God says. Consider Lot. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, they had embraced homosexuality and other sins so that it was simply just a part of society. That was how that society operated. And it was true for everybody except for Lot. Even his own wife. Her heart seemed to be with Sodom and not with Lot. But Lot wanted to live for God in the midst of a society in which nobody else was interested in following God's rules about sexuality. But at the end of the day, Lot was protected. Sodom was destroyed. God says, look, I know what I'm doing. He was in a much worse situation than we are. There are still people in America and there are still people in Grand Rapids who want to live in faithfulness to God's teaching about sexuality. Lot and Noah were by themselves. God says even when they were by themselves, I know how to take care of this. I know how to handle this. This is not just blind faith. God has done this in the past. He's demonstrated. Look, he's saying to us, this is your first time through this. It's not mine. It's not my first time to have people defy me. It's not my first time to have an entire society say they're going to go their own way sexually. I know what I'm doing, the Lord says. Trust me. Trust me in this. The Lord knows how to rescue the righteous from trials. He could have used hundreds of others examples. David in the wilderness, running from Saul. God knew how to protect him. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. Peter in prison. Paul in the shipwreck in the storm. God knows how to take care of the righteous, no matter what we find ourselves in. Amen. And what God wants to affirm to you and I this morning is, look, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Observation number one, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Observation number two. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The word for godly really means righteous. That's what's in mind here. We know that because Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. And twice, Lot is described as being a righteous man, and once he is described as having a righteous soul. The main idea here is that the Lord knows how to protect the righteous. 
But notice it doesn't say the blameless. It doesn't say the perfect. It doesn't even say the mature. What's the difference? Well, have you ever asked the question, how in the world did Lot get qualified as righteous? Have you ever wondered why is Lot described as righteous? After all, he chose land near Sodom and Gomorrah for his flocks out of selfishness. And not only did he end up living near Sodom and Gomorrah, he moved into the middle of the city. Not only that, but Lot should never have offered his daughters to the people in the city who were, who were sexually abusive. And when the angels come and tell Lot that he, they're going to rescue him and they want to take him far away, he's too scared to go that far and asks if he can go to a city closer by. None of those things seem to be the actions of the godly. And that's because Lot is not perfect. And Lot is not blameless. Lot's not even that mature. So how in the world is he described as being righteous? It's because righteousness comes by faith, not by works. Lot's got all sorts of stuff he's done wrong, but he is willing to believe God that he needs to live differently sexually than the culture around him. He is willing to believe God that he's supposed to offer hospitality to the strangers because in some ways he may end up entertaining angels. And most of all, Lot is willing to believe God that when these angels show up and say destruction is coming, Lot believes it. And because of that, he's considered righteous. Not perfect, not blameless, not even mature. You could hardly pick Lot out as a superstar Christian. I don't think he is. But the point is, and it's good news, the bar's not that high. <laughs> now what that means is, it's not just that God rescues the sinless. God rescues the super mature. God rescues those who've been Christians for a long period of time. God rescues those who believe in him. That if two weeks ago, you heard from God's word something that you were not supposed to be doing in your sexual life and you heard, and you may have been involved in that practice for 10 years, but you heard God speak to you two weeks ago and you decided to believe God and to stop disobeying. That's you now. You're righteous. Amen. You don't have to be somebody who has 30 years in which you can say, for 30 years, Lord, I did everything you asked me to do in order to qualify to be rescued. The point is, is God rescues anybody who by faith believes in him. And if two weeks ago you stopped doing something that you've been doing for most of your life, God has forgiven you. You are righteous. You by faith are standing in a place where God is going to take care of you. God is not looking for people who are sinless. God is not looking for people who never make any mistakes. What he does is he takes people like Noah, who by the way, his problem with alcohol became apparent after the flood. He too, not blameless, not perfect. God is not looking for that. All he's looking for is people who are willing by faith to believe him. And the promise is, is that if you by faith believe what God has said, then you're the one he's going to rescue. You're the one that qualifies for what he's saying here. The Lord knows how to rescue, not the perfect, not the blameless. Yes, he rescues those. But the rest of us, the rest of us who stumble and struggle and fall and make, uh, make mistakes, we get rescued too. Not because we earned it, but because we choose to believe God and by faith we're righteous.
Observation number three. The Lord knows how to rescue the trial, the, the godly or the righteous from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. It doesn't say he knows how to protect the righteous from ever going through anything difficult. It doesn't say that he protects us from any suffering, any difficulty, any problems in our life. It says literally in the Greek, he knows how to pick us up out of the middle of trials and rescue us. That in the middle of difficult situations, notice in verses 7 and 8 it says about Lot, he was distressed by the depraved conduct of the people around him. And verse 8, he was tormented in his righteous soul. Those two words represent two different aspects of suffering. The first, the distress, that's usually associated with external suffering or persecution. Remember what happened when Lot said, hey, look, you can't touch these people who are staying under my roof? Do you remember what the people of Sodom said to him? They said, get out of our way. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. Does that sound familiar? Hey, you're just being judgmental. Who are you to tell us what to do? And suddenly the people of Sodom are not just like, hey, you believe what you want to believe, we'll believe what we... This is an abusive situation. And you get the sense that this is probably not the first time that Lot has been on the wrong end of abusive speech, of perhaps persecution, of difficulty. And Peter is telling us that Lot experienced suffering as a result of trying to live righteously in an ungodly world. Tormented, that's a different word, and the idea is the internal stress. You know that feeling when you see other people who are doing things you know God doesn't want them to do and you feel the pressure to conform, that sort of internal stress? That's what Lot was feeling day after day as he watched the people around him living in a way that he knew was contrary to God. The point is not that the righteous will never go through trials. In fact, 1 Peter, the book we spent the whole year studying, is all about how God uses suffering. That if we are righteous... Living in an unrighteous world, if we're trying to follow God, we will experience suffering because we are exiles, resident aliens, living in a world that's not our home. And as a result of God's election and calling in our lives, we experience persecution and suffering. And so God is not promising here that the righteous will never experience difficulty when we try to live for God in a world that does not embrace his sexual ethic. In fact, the opposite seems to be true. The more that we want to be faithful to what God has said about sexuality in the word, the more trouble we will experience. But the promise is, God knows how to rescue the godly from those trials, from those troubles. This means that if you have experienced rape, sexual abuse, sexual bullying, persecution for trying to follow the Lord, God has not failed in his promise because the promise is not 
that you and I will live a carefree life in a world that is filled with sexual immorality. The promise is God knows how to rescue the godly from the midst of trials. What does that look like? Well, it can look like the Supreme Court ruling in favor of Christians who own their own businesses, being allowed to not have to, not being forced to offer healthcare options that are abortive in nature. Now, who knows what that will look like in the future? Who knows how that will progress? But it could be that that is part of God's plan to give encouragement to those who are trying to honor God in their business life, to be able to protect them, to help them in the midst of trials. It may very well be God's encouragement to them to say, look, I see you. I see where you're at. And the decisions of judges and legislators and leaders, they're in God's hands. And God molds hearts and and shapes decisions however he wants. It could be that if you've experienced sexual assault, that the way God is rescuing you from that trial is providing you with the perfect husband just for you. The one who is sensitive and kind, the one who's going to be able to walk with you as you go through the healing process. That God has allowed that to happen, but has decided to give you somebody who is going to love you through that. That can be a way in which God rescues the godly from trials. Not that we never experience difficulty, but that in the midst of it, God says, look, I know what will help get you out of this. I know how to protect you. I've picked the perfect husband for you to walk you through this so that you can bless others with what you've experienced. I will not abandon you to this. It can look like God providing one good friend for you in high school who's willing to stand with you for God's word and for God's truth. And although you felt like you're all alone and that everybody in your school is choosing a different path than the one that you're choosing, that everybody is dressing differently than you dress, that everybody's engaging in sexual immorality and you're being made fun of for not doing it, God rescuing you out of the midst of trials can be him providing you with that one true friend who's gonna stand with you. And out of that, he may give you a lifelong friend who will be a far, far better friend than any relationships you could have had if you ran after the world's version of sexual morality. God can do it in a number of different ways. He's not limited. The point is he's trying to say, look, I have had billions and billions of these situations and never once have I failed. He does it differently all the time. Sometimes it's through legislators. Sometimes it's through marriage. Sometimes it's through friendship. Sometimes it's more miraculous than that. Whatever it may be, the point is God knows how to rescue the righteous from trials. He's good at this. And he's done it, and he can do it in your life. He will do it. It could be lots of different ways. So what's our response to this truth? It's to pursue righteousness. If God knows how to rescue the godly from trials, our goal is to pursue righteousness. It's very interesting, neither Lot nor Noah were tasked with reforming the societies in which they lived. Neither Lot nor Noah were asked to join the Sodom City Council, or whatever was around when Noah was around, and try to get laws passed that would implement God's sexual ethic. Neither one of them were asked to do that. 
Neither one of them seemed to be asked by God to go around to their non-Christian neighbors and convince them to stop living the way they're living. God didn't seem to ask either Lot or Noah. It's your job to convince the people around you to stop living the way that they're living. That's not their job. What Noah and Lot were asked by God to do? Pursue righteousness. To live righteously. Because even though they were not given the task of reforming society, they were given the task of announcing to society a different way of living. Not so much in word, but in deed. That's why Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. We don't have any record of Noah going around and standing on street corners and saying, you need to stop acting that way. You need to start acting this way. We don't have any record of him doing that. But because he lived by faith, he trusted God, he lived out what God wanted in his life. He proclaimed to the society in which he lived an alternative way of living. And by doing that, that's how he became a preacher of righteousness. That's what we're called to do. Almost nothing else has caused more harm to the cause of Christianity than people who claim to be Christians but are engaged in sexual abuse, are engaged in infidelity, are engaged in any number of sexual immorality, and almost nothing will be better for the cause of Christ than a group of people who follow what God has said about sexuality and live in that way, not walking around judgmentally telling everybody else, you need to do what we're doing, but living in such a way that our faith in God, our trust in God, is a sermon to those around us. And we are proclaiming righteousness, not legalistic righteousness, not here's the law, you need to do this, but proclaiming we have a God who rescues people out of trials. We have a God, I'm, I'm willing to walk this unpopular path because I know that God will take care of me. That is the gospel. That is the declaration that God rescues the righteous. And was Lot, when Lot was rescued and when Noah was rescued, it was a proclamation. We have a God who rescues people. Because the ultimate trial that God wants to rescue everyone from is death. And the promise is not that by being Christians we'll avoid death. The promise is, is that when death comes upon us, God will reach down into the middle and pull us out. And when we live in such a way that we're living in a society, in a city, in a world that has embraced a different kind of sexual immorality, but God keeps showing up and rescues us, rescuing us, he provides us with a spouse, he provides us with a friend, he walks us through, he gives us encouragement. When he does that, it is a sign and a symbol that God is a rescuing God. And if God can rescue us from the midst of the trials around us, he can rescue them from death. And so our response, pursue righteousness. That's why Peter opened this book by saying, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Because if you are pursuing these things, God will rescue you out of whatever you go through and that will be a testimony to all around. I began working on this sermon, at least thinking about this sermon a couple of months ago. 
for whatever it was at that time in my life as I was watching sort of the news cycle go on, there was just lots of stuff going on about sexual immorality and how it was being embraced and how it was being even promoted by those who claimed to be Christians. And I remember feeling fear. What's going to happen? How's this going to work? And I remember talking to many of you who were experiencing the same thing. And maybe some of you are experiencing that now. And I began to think, I gotta say something. What, what is a pastor? Should we change the sermon series and say something that can be an encouragement to people? And God said, Second Peter 2 is coming. And this is the word of encouragement that he speaks to us. Listen, I know how to do this. Trust me. I know how to rescue the godly from trials. And what he's saying to you this morning is, look, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter what happens in this country. It doesn't matter what happens in this city. It doesn't matter what happens in denominations, church denominations. It doesn't matter what happens at your school. It doesn't matter what happens in your family. It doesn't even matter what happens here at Calvary Church. God says, I know how to rescue the righteous from trials. And if you're the only one, if you're the only one in the entire church, if you're the only one in the entire city, if you're the only one in the entire world, God says, I've already been through that. I know how to do it. I will take care of you. If you go with what the world says, you think there's safety in numbers. God's saying there's not. I know how to rescue the righteous. At the end of the day, everybody was gone and Noah was safe. At the end of the day, everybody was gone and Lot was safe. God is saying, this is what I do. Trust me, I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. If you are willing to stick with me, what I've said, how you're supposed to behave sexually, I will never leave you. Amen. I will not abandon you. I will not give you over to society or to false teachers. You will go through difficult trials, but I will give you my peace. Amen. And I will walk with you. And I will rescue you from out of the middle of them. Please believe me. God says, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do this. I won't let you be shaken. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we look around and we see the wind and waves around us and we get scared and we begin to sink. Draw our eyes back to you. Let us see that you are rescuing God that the nations of the world rage against you, but you sit on your throne unfazed by their defiance. Lord, we praise you. This is not the first time that the world has turned against you in their ethics and in their behavior. Lord, we thank you for demonstrated testimony that you know how to rescue the righteous. And Lord, it's not just been people in the Bible. It's been us too. You've rescued us out of financial ruin. You've rescued us in the midst of the death of loved ones. You've rescued us from sin. Lord, you have rescued us in so many ways. Lord, remind us today that you are the God who rescues us from trials. And Lord, I pray for any who are experiencing fear. Maybe it's because of Christians who are promoting a different form of sexuality. Maybe it's for some other reason. I pray that they would hear this word of encouragement to them today. Lord, we do trust you. Help us to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.